0: Greetings and welcome to Inside the Masters Studio, a behind the screens look into the art of GMing. Today, we're joined by Chris Odey. Hi, it's good to be here. I'd like to start from the very beginning. How did you first get involved with tabletop RPGs? Uh, Truthfully, my first experiences that
1: I can recall were um, very scattered and in elementary school. Um, I recall in fourth or fifth grade playing uh, at an overnight for some friends, um, uh, some edition of D&D. It must have been second, I guess, uh, based on my age and what was going on. But it was very unstructured, very loose interpretation of the rules. One of the other kids was being the GM, and it was very, you know, it was... 11 year olds 10 year olds playing around at the game um i recall at recess so every once in a while over the next couple of years we would play as well and there was a batman rpg that we played for a while um but again very scattered half an hour increments at recess nothing super serious and uh and honestly i didn't get into tabletop rpgs regularly until after college
0: what's the first character you really remember playing uh first character i really remember playing was uh Belodian
1: he was a half uh, no he was a dwarven dwarven druid in a campaign that my friend Steve Wolbrecht was running and uh, I, I yeah it was a lot of fun no one in the i was just starting playing rpgs it was my first real time sitting down with a with a group and uh it was a bunch of folks who eventually created Dead gentleman productions and zombie orpheus entertainment and they'd all been playing for years together, and I had found out that they had no one who ever played druids. And so I, I thought I would take a stab at that, and I have always liked dwarves. I just there's something about them I find appealing. Do you have a
0: preferred class?
1: <laughs> uh, cleric,
0: actually. It is almost always that I wind up playing a cleric. Do you remember what happened to Belodian at the end of the campaign? Uh, he's actually shown up a couple times
1: since that campaign has been going on and off for 20 years or so now. Uh, the last time I played him, I re-upped him for, mm, I think it was, was, I think it was fourth edition. Um, it was a swarm Druid build. I remember that much. And, uh, that was a lot of fun because it was before they, uh, they rebalanced the build. So it was, uh, very broken and a lot of fun to play
0: and also something that you just didn't normally see. When did you make the transition into running games?
1: Uh, actually, it was, my, it was <laughs> it's my first year in seminary, actually. Uh, we put together a gaming group, and uh, there was only a couple of us who'd ever played tabletop RPGs before. I had just spent the last couple of years uh, playing regularly with a, a guy named Steve Schubert, um, who is a former designer for uh, Wizards of the Coast, and um, playing with him and Dave Noonan and off and on uh, other folks from there and decided that it was decided that I should run the campaign because I had the most recent experience playing in a regular group. How did the game turn out? It was a lot of fun. We played, um, what is it, uh, Expedition? No. Um... Oh, bother. What's it called? The Spider Queen. Um, uh I can't remember the name right now. It's a, a third edition uh campaign setting um in the Underdark uh involving the Spider Queen. I'm going to google it on my phone while we talk. Um but it was a lot of fun. The uh, the the party succeeded. They uh they managed to defeat the evil plot and it was uh, a lot of fun and the the folks who who had never played before um all became regular players and we we kept we kept on playing all four years.
0: Uh, as a Man of the Cloth yourself, do you have proficiency with maces? (laughs) You know, I should pick that up, like
1: just simple basic weapons. Um, I think I do pretty well. Uh, I I was a decent uh, softball hitter, but I've never actually tried to pick up uh, a mace as an actual weapon. But now that you say it, that would probably be the one I should go for. City of the
0: Spider Queen, that's what it was called. Baseball bat's practically a mace.
1: That's true. Light maces, I am proficient then.
0: What is something from your previous GMs that you learned and incorporated into your own style?
1: Uh, you know, Steve, I, one thing I really admire about Steve Schubert is he is so well-versed in the rules, and yet he also has had a tendency to know when to, when to back off on a strict rules interpretation and let the story take precedent. Um, and I, I really appreciate that about him. Um, Steve Wolbrecht, another good friend of mine who I mentioned, uh, who, you know, if anyone listening to this watches DFA at all, uh, Mac, uh, from the show, uh, Steve, I, I've really enjoyed his world creation. He has a, an entire world that he's created, uh, Realm, R E L M. It's the world that we've been playing the last 20 years or so off and on. And I, I love the, I love the creativity he put into that and and actually coming up with his own campaign setting. And I've, I've used that some myself off and on not that setting, but just that world creation.
0: Do you have more fun creating the world or exploring it? That's a good question. Um, Honestly, there's a lot of enjoyment
1: in both. I feel like I don't get a lot of chances to do the exploring as much anymore. it, It seems like especially with the stuff that the most, <laughs> the most common experiences I have with RPGs at the moment are um, the shows going on, on on Hyper. And there's not a lot of opportunity there for me to be just a player. I do enjoy, enjoy uh, exploring the world. I definitely enjoy that when I get the chance to be a player. But there is a lot of satisfaction to be found in, in, in helping create a place for everyone else to get to play and, and have
0: adventures as well. Well, speaking of the shows on Hyper RPG, right now you're GMing Masters of the Metaverse. How did that come together? Um, <laughs> So that was the result of...
1: How far back do you want me to go? Because it does dovetail into the DFA Renegade stuff, if you want any of that. Oh, certainly. Okay, so here's where I'll start. And I'll still be the somewhat condensed version. Um, so, so Zombie Orpheus Entertainment, who I do a lot of work with, and the people involved with that I've known since since college, basically, um, or at least some of them. Every year, uh, Gen Con is a big event for us. It's it's our big convention of the year, and the last few years, I have been responsible for coordinating that that show uh, for the for the group, you know, for the the people who are going out there, coordinating all of the events, all of the screenings. We do a couple live shows. Um, the live shows that we do, um, I'm in there, uh, one of the performers in that along with, uh, well, with Steve again, and then with Christian Doyle and Maggie Ferguson Wagstaff and, um, uh, some other folks have, have played with that as well. Uh, Nathan Rice, Matt, Matt Shimkus this coming year. And, um, and so a couple years ago when we were doing one of those live shows, Christian Doyle and and Ben Dobbins, who's the creative director of Zombie Orpheus, met uh, the folks from Sirenscape on the exhibition hall floor, and um and just they really hit it off and immediately thought this was something we should incorporate into the live show, and so Christian worked it out and Ben worked it out that they would do Sirenscape for the show, but they didn't tell any of us in the cast, so we had absolutely no idea. So the show starts and we're doing the live show and it's this live improvised comedy RPG. And all of a sudden, you know, the Wilhelm scream is going off and there's background music and there's, you know, sound effects and all these things are happening. And for us on stage, we're all thinking to ourselves, what What the heck? I mean, what, what, where is all this coming from? And we didn't know until after the show. And then then I got to know some of the people from Sirenscape as well. Um, we, we really hit it off. A year goes by. And then at Gen Con 2016, uh, the folks from Sirenscape, Jessica Hutchison and, and Daryl Brown, uh, who were out in Australia, uh, they came out to the Northwest after the show to come and, and to just hang out and, and and pal around and be friends. Uh, they stayed with Sarah, uh, my wife, and, and I for several days. And while they were staying with us, uh, Daryl needed to do a an episode of, uh, what was it called? Hop Trivia? The, the trivia show? Oh, Trivia Hops. Trivia Hops, thank you. And so Daryl needed to do an episode of that show, and so I took him out to go do the show. And so while I was there, I got to know, I, I met Zach and, um, you know, that process began. And um, in the course of conversation with Zach, we basically said, hey, we should, you know, I was trying to get to meet you guys at, at Gen Con, but nothing really, or was trying to work out some stuff with Zoe earlier this year, but nothing actually happened. And asked him, well, when were you trying to reach us? It turned out it was when we were in the middle of a Kickstarter for a, a web series, a Journey Quest season three. The Kickstarter had been failing pitifully when he tried to reach us. So no one got back to him because we were scrambling to try and pull off the Kickstarter, um, which eventually did pull off, but just by the skin of its teeth. It was, it was kind of like that fundraiser that just happened. We, we raised 148 grand in, in about 48 hours. Um, otherwise the show wasn't going to happen. But, uh, but so Zach and I agreed to talk some more later. And, uh, and then so we, we met up again later and spoke. And in the course of that conversation, Zach basically said, Hey, we have this show, uh, Death from Above, and the cast needs a break. They've been going nonstop for, you know, all these months. Uh, would you have any interest in taking over the show? And (laughs) I had, I had never played Battletech before. Um, I played Mech Warrior a little bit as a kid, like the video game on the old NES. Um, but I figured it was an opportunity and so said, yeah, sure, absolutely. We'll figure it out and, uh, got in touch with Christian, uh, Doyle, who I've done a lot of improv with in the past and who we'd been talking about working on some more shows together. Um, we put together the cast for Renegades. Um, his friend Kelly Fusan has been playing Battletech since the, you know, since the game began since the early mid eighties. So he was quite knowledgeable and a great resource to bring on board Uh, Matt Shimkus, who does, who plays Sokolov, um, he also has been playing since back then. So talked a lot to Kelly, talked a lot to Matt, um, did a couple skirmishes, did a skirmish with Tyler, uh, Carpenter, did a cast run through with Mitch Gittleman, and then we started the show. And, uh, (laughs) and so then, you know, we, we did these eight weeks of the show and it actually went pretty well. And then when it was, as we were getting kind of the end of the run, we had some more conversation with Zach about, hey, you know, do you have any interest in us doing another show? And they said, yes. And so that kind of led to beginning to think about how to put together uh, Masters,
0: what became Masters of the Metaverse. Was it a challenge trying to come up with ways for chat to interact with the show?
1: Yeah, I mean, one thing we really wanted to do with that show was to learn from what we had observed doing Renegades me pinch hitting at times on DFA, the other guys, you know, the other folks showing up on DFA at times, I spent a lot of time kind of skimming some of the other shows on the channel to see what, what approaches people were using and trying to figure out how to, how to incorporate chat. We, we had, we have an improv troupe, uh, hat trick pony that, uh, that Christian and I founded a few years back and we never really wanted to do it as your standard live show stage improv troupe um, because doing that means working out the logistics of a theater and running a ticket you know booth and all that stuff and so we never really made that work to the degree that we wanted to but our our intent when we built that group was we wanted to figure out how to use it to um, to reach a digital audience because we knew that zoe has such a wide like hyper zoe's fan base is very widespread you know we've got a lot of folks in Germany and Brazil and, uh, in Southeast Asia and, and, you know, across the US and Canada. And, and so the thought was, um, Denmark, the UK, you know, the, the thought was, how do we, how do we reach out to them? And we, and we weren't, we weren't finding a good way to do it. And, and part of that was because we were trying to, we were trying to live stream from these old, uh, stage, you know, these, these live show stages that don't have good, good internet connections. And so when the opportunity to do stuff with hyper happened, it was it was just this aha moment of holy crap, this is this is what we wanted. This is exactly what we wanted. This this digital interaction, this is a way that we can reliably interact with the fan base that we can we can get suggestions from them. We can, you know, we can really oh wow. And so this whole format has just been like it's been kids in a candy shop. You know, that's that's one thing we've tried really hard is to figure out how to how to tailor the store, how to tailor the, just the overall show to really honor and and take advantage of that opportunity that's there um, to work with the crowd.
0: How did you decide which game system would work best for the story you were trying to tell? So we went with a modified
1: version of TriStat, which truthfully I had never experienced prior to a DFA. Um, and even then, the modified version Tyler uses is is also different from the the core version, because uh, in, in Tyler's version, tri stat rolling high is better, and in core, tri stat rolling low is better. Um, and so we we went with we went with that partially because it was a very flexible system. Um, it allowed for a lot of a lot of leeway by the GM, a lot of interpretation that way. We wanted to do a show where the rules mattered. And where the math mattered, but where it didn't, where it was never allowed to become a hurdle to a fun uh, experience for the cast and for the fans. That was always first and foremost, was what can we do here that will make this fun for everyone involved and engaging for everyone involved? And yes, we want to make sure that we're actually, you know, honoring the math in, in that sense and not just kind of on a whim saying, oh, well, you win or you lose or whatever, but we wanted we wanted to be able to build it in a way that would be flexible, and Tristat really seemed to allow that. Um, the fact that it's open source didn't hurt any. The fact that Christian and Kelly had been playing with it for the last few years together was also helpful. The way that it's built around kind of a variable dice, um, you know, D4, D6, D8, D10, D12, etc., that was also a real perk in my mind. Because that allowed for ways to, that kind of, that's how the whole spectrum thing came to be, was realizing that, okay, so if these characters are built to function at this dice level, you know, this, this numbered size die, what if we built in a mechanic where their die become bigger or smaller, and that chat has control over that? And, you know, the, the whole, the two identity thing, the, the, the metapilot and the, the avatar identity on the show um anyone who has no idea what I'm talking about the short version is it's kind of like quantum leap where you you leap into an avatar um anything I say more than that's just going to confuse you uh, <laughs> uh the the idea with that kind of came from hey you know we do these live shows where we you know one one of our more popular series is with Zoe uh is is the gamers and in that we we really blur the line between the game table and and the people in the RPG. And so the thought was, okay, how do we, how do we do that in this format? How can we do something similar to that in this format? Because there are so many shows out there now, you know, tabletop live streaming has become so popular. There are so many shows doing that. What is something we could do that would be distinct, that would, that would stand out in the crowd and be fun for us and entertaining and, and fun for the crowd, um, fun, fun for chat. And, um, and that kind of, that led to the Tri-Stat and everything else.
0: It's usually hard enough for a GM to anticipate what their players are doing, but you also have to anticipate what chat is going to do. How do you keep plans in mind for how chat's going to affect your game? I don't. I honestly don't. I, uh, I just accept the fact that chat is going to do
1: something that I won't anticipate, um, and the players are going to do things I won't anticipate, the background in improv is really, really helpful. Um, I've been doing improv now for 15 years. Uh, Christian's been doing it for at least that long, if not longer. Maggie's been doing it for probably a good 10 years or more. Uh, Kelly doesn't have a background in improv, but he's got 30, 40 years worth of gaming ex- experience. Uh, Vanessa has a background in improv. James has, has a background in theater. Sarah's done a decent amount of theater and... Also, I mean, she and I have been together for 15 years, so we know each other pretty well by now. And, um, you know, having that kind of – having that instant chemistry, that history as a team makes it really easy to not anticipate what the other is going to do necessarily, but at least be able to react quickly because you kind of know the sorts of things that somebody is going to do. And um, and then with chat, I mean, it's – it really isn't any different than an improv show in that sense, and – When we do our improv, when we do our improvised uh, gamers live shows, the entire show gets decided by, by the fans. The fans determine our characters at the start of the show. They determine our powers. They determine um, our weaknesses. They determine where the thing is taking place. They determine what we're questing for. They, they make up everything and we have to react on the spot. And so. So, really, having that improv background is probably my saving grace when it comes to <laughs>
0: to dealing with chat on hyper <laughs> Is this the type of show where it is difficult to have an end of season type twist, or is that something you want
1: uh yeah yes and no it's it's it's, <laughs> it's funny you should say that because what I'm trying to do right now um and and not at this literal moment right now but as soon as we're done talking, um, is kind of figuring out uh, with with the cast's availability. I know that I know that I have our core group for the first eight episodes, and then I know that things start going sideways a bit in terms of people's availability. And so I know who I have available when. I know who is coming in to take their place. I know what special guests we have and things like that. And I also know the next kind of meta world that we want to insert the players into. And so what I need to kind of figure out is, are we, I don't, I know we can't wrap up all of the story of where we are right now in these first eight episodes, and I don't want to. And so what I'm kind of wrestling with and what I'm going to actually call Christian about this week, um, I've I've been ill lately, so it's been hard to, to have the voice to talk to him on the phone. What I want to do is kind of figure out, does it make sense to, does it make sense to, to basically resolve this storyline to keep going through this storyline, even when we lose some of those people who began it, knowing we're going to get those people back later on, or does it make sense to use that break as a chance to, to do exactly what you're saying in a, in a a bit of a cliffhanger, as you will go play in, in the new world or the new universe, or maybe another one, maybe one or two of them, and then come back and resolve this. When I know that I have those players who began this story arc, because I feel a little wrong, I, I personally feel a little wrong resolving this story arc without most of those folks at the table. Um, I kind of feel like they should be a part of that. And so I, I think I think that's probably what's going to happen. I, like I say, I want to talk to Christian first, but I, I think what's probably going to happen is we're going to play through this, at least for these first eight, and then go off on a little other adventure for a while and, uh, and then come back to it. Because we also haven't spent a lot of time exploring the world of the Metapilots themselves. And as that is the world that is actually consistent, those identities are the ones that are consistent, um, I want to make sure that we give the players and chat enough time to really explore that world and those those identities, um, because that's going to become very important um, very soon. Um, some things that are happening in that reality are going to actually become critical to, to
0: everyone's uh, future. Have you considered having Tyler run a side Renegades of the Metaverse? I
1: hadn't, but I'm totally open to playing with things like that. You know, one thing, <laughs> so I've, I, you know, Christian uh, Christian Doyle and I have been working on this uh, together, and it just kind of depends on what moment and what, what instance of the show is more him or me. You know, he, he did a lot of work on the overall world that we're playing in right now, the superhero world. And that was a little tricky for me, admittedly, at the start of it, just because I didn't know it as well as he did. But one thing that's been very important to us from the get go has been the idea that we want multiple we want multiple GMs for the show. We want multiple people who have been trained and experienced to run the show because we don't want to run into a situation where, you know, where the show can't happen unless I'm available. That's just going to be draining. And, you know, I think it's also more fun this way if we have more people who can do that. Plus, sometimes I can be a player then. Um, I actually have an entire player identity that I'm looking forward to unleashing sometime. Um, but I can't do that unless somebody else is
0: running the show for a while. With Christian being more familiar with the setting to begin with, did you want to be the GM or would you rather have had him be the GM? You know, it's, it's funny because
1: um, Christian is one of our primary GMs for the live shows that we do, the stage shows. Um, but he also has so much background as a live performer that it kind of began with when we talked about uh, Renegades, actually. We talked about him running that because of his GM background with, with an audience. But he said flat out that the digital thing for him, I think it's gotten much better. But at the time, it was a real stretch for him. And I think even now you can still see it at times, to be honest, because he's so used to getting that audience feedback uh, orally, you know, in, 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 just knowing it, hear, hearing it. And, and so not having that audience feedback, I think is a bit of a, it's a bit of a hurdle for him at times. Um, and so that led to me GMing Renegades. Um, and then that experience of me doing that on Renegades really led to it making the most sense for me to do Metaverse. I also, frankly, one of the reasons he and I get along and work so well together is that we are really, it's kind of a yin-yang thing. We have very um, very different skills and gifts. And uh, I mean, we, we play really well together. And I think we're a stronger team because of it. But I'm definitely the anal retentive organized one. Um, and so uh, that, that can be a really useful trait uh, in a
0: GM on shows like this. <laughs> Going back to Death from Above, when you were preparing for Renegades, did you have a certain set of guidelines that Tyler had left for you in terms of what you could do with the universe? Uh, they really let
1: things be very wide open. I knew that we needed to have a, a quote-unquote hidden prince character, and so the funny thing is the description they had of the hidden prince, it's not Jack. It's not Jack Rabbit. The hidden prince that they wanted that Mitch and Tyler told me about um, was Prince Louis, uh, Brian Lewis's character, Jack's brother, um, the the good son, if you will. Jackrabbit really came about because they had kind of this Robin Hood idea that they first threw out as an option. I realized really early in the process that we did not have the Battletech chops where I felt comfortable trying to pass off the team as this group of badass mech warriors. And it made a lot more sense to focus on what we did well. Which was character work and chemistry. And so that led to playing with kind of alternative ideas and things that hadn't been explored before. Um, that led to the creation of Mackenzie's magnificent mechs, which is not a mech circus, regardless of what people say. Um, it's, it's more of like an old West gun show, but, uh, you know, they, they didn't, they didn't say you have to do X, Y, and Z. They kind of threw a couple suggestions out and otherwise said, Here's our blessing. Good luck, and uh, and I appreciated that. Like the, the flexibility was actually really helpful. And even along the way, when I've when I've pinch hit a couple times now for Tyler, um, they've been very open to to letting things evolve naturally. And similarly, when I've showed up a couple times now uh, as Duke Erasmus, uh, Mitch has been very open to where things have gone and not not really tried to control. Uh, exactly what happens next
0: did they have the end of the story written out for you or was that left open i knew we
1: needed to be pushing towards the Zathrin civil war um full confession when season two began i was a little caught off guard because i had assumed season two was really going to take place in the midst of the civil war as opposed to basically right afterward um it, it I I, <laughs> I I was really caught off guard by that. That that was okay. It was, it was not a bad choice or anything, but I had expected season two to really be focused on the actual civil war and that conflict because I knew that my instructions were to set them up well for that. And so I, you know, so that's where we kind of went with it was to try and give a lot of different options that they could take to introduce several characters and uh, things that could be used. And I, and I think we accomplished
0: what we set out to do. Did you intend for Sokolov to be a recurring character? Not at first, no. I knew that Matt was a hardcore
1: Battletech player, and so I knew uh, when the chance showed up, and I, and I love working with Matt. I love working with Shimmy so much. Um, you know, we, we have not, up until this stuff with Hyper, we have not gotten to do a lot of work together, and it has been so much fun for both of us to do that. And so knowing his, his love for Battletech, knowing that he's just a fun guy, um, wanting to work with him, I really wanted him to come in as an op four. And he seemed like a really good choice for the first one, especially because then it would be one more person who knew the system standing at the table. But, uh, you know, I did not anticipate the ending with the whole, you know, Hey, it's just a contract. Let's go get drinks and happy hour afterwards, which I thought was a great resolution. And, and in addition to just being a very natural and honest resolution, because, I mean, that's true, it really was just a contract, there were no hard feelings, it was nothing personal, I also loved that that first episode unintentionally really set, set the feel for the miniseries and really established that, yeah, this is going to take place in the same universe as the Marauders, but don't anticipate it to be necessarily as dark. And I think that's okay. Like, we we were definitely a lighter-hearted show, and I, I won't apologize for that. I think that's I think that's totally okay. But when he survived that first encounter, um, you know, going out for wings and happy hour, I didn't expect that. And then I knew, I found out as we were going on that Lisa could not make an episode that originally she was going to make. And so I needed someone to fill out the team and round out the team. And I kind of thought to myself, well, you know, there's no reason he can't come back. He's they he they left on good terms. He's a free agent. The heck with it. Yeah, let's bring Sokolov back as a good guy. This will be fun. And um, so we kind of talked about, you know, I approached him about it and said, hey, how do you feel about this? And he was totally on board. And then I think it was the night before the show that I thought uh, that the idea popped in my head. Man, it would be so funny and awkward if Cade and Sokolov had like a drunken one night stand. And so I asked Sarah and Shimmy what they thought about that. And they were both like, "Yeah, sure." And so then they exchanged a couple text messages to kind of think it through, and then they t- took it in an entirely different direction. Like, I love, I love the Cade Sokolov thing. It's, it is. I think it's hilarious, and I, I really enjoy that. Chat has enjoyed it as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would say that Renegades was kind of a nice break from how serious the uh, Marauders were getting. Not that it was a bad thing but it's nice to get a fresh breath in the midst of the lord commander losing even more body parts. <laughs>
1: yeah, I I I think I mean we're kind of a palate cleanser in that way and uh and I'm I'm okay with that. You know, most of the shows that we have done as a film company have been uh comedies or, you know, even if they've been dark comedies, they've still been comedies. And it's just something that naturally happens when we all start playing together. I have no problem going dark. You know, I have no problem doing deeper or more serious stuff. But at the same time, I think for a lot of us, at least on the, in the Zoe team right now, you know, there's so many other things in our lives that are, that are really serious that when we get together to do this, it's fun to just, it's fun to just play and just really enjoy each other's company.
0: We'll be right back with the second half of the interview, but first, let's learn more about an important podcast on the Audio Entropy Network.
1: Uh, Hi, I'm Molly, a trans girl living in Seattle. Hi, I'm Ashley, a trans girl living in Florida. And I'm Jules, a trans girl living in Sydney, Australia. We're hosting a new amateur anecdotal advice podcast about what it's been like for us being trans. We'll be covering topics such as coming out... Realization. Experiences with HRT. Thoughts on surgery. Romance. And family. You can find us at
0: TM RadioCast on Twitter. And you can send in questions to transmissionquestions at gmail.com and transmissionradiopodcast.tumblr.com.
1: Join us three on what it's all about being trans in your mid-twenties through our own, frankly, weird and wonderful experiences.
0: When you are GMing a game and you have players at the table who know a system as well or better than you, does it sometimes get to be a challenge wanting to tell your story versus them enforcing rules? I definitely can be. Um,
1: you know, with... You know, with metaverse in particular, um, you know, there have been a few times now I, I'm really looking forward to the next world, the next reality in Metaverse, and scaling down the power balance. Um, I'm looking forward to a world in which uh Avatar death is a bit more of a threat. I've been learning a lot about how to scale encounters with these guys, and it's it's friggin' hard, frankly, because of some of their powers, because it is kind of a it's almost an all or nothing. It's either going to be so hard that they' can't beat it, or it's going to be not to that point, in which case they will just destroy it. You know, they did fail their first, ra- their first encounter, so at least I have that under my belt. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, with with other games, with, um, you know, GMing um, City of the Spider Queen or things like that, um, you know, that it hasn't been as much of an issue there. I don't enjoy rules-lawyering discussions. I can do them, but I don't really... I feel like it really detracts from the fun for most of the part of the uh, table typically. And, uh, and on a show in particular, there's just no room for it. I mean, full disclosure, th- there's been times where I've been standing at the table, um, you know, for example, on DFA or something where a role has happened and, um, and I have not agreed with, with an interpretation that has, well, like, like the charity role we just did, there were a couple roles that happened there with, uh, with goober's character where jackal commandeered the uh, king crab where it was a definite uh uh gm rule of cool situation but at the same time there was no point in trying to argue about that because i mean it was a friggin' charity drive and who cares you know it
0: was about it was about having a fun time and a good show for the next world you are planning for masters of the metaverse is there Cast input on what that world is going to be, or are you going to be the sole decider? Um, the cast hasn't had input in the world. In fact, aside
1: from Christian, none of them know what it'll be. Um, but we've known since we, uh, Christian and I have known since before we started what the second world was going to be. There is the possibility long term of integrating some of Zoe's film properties into the worlds, um, but it just kind of depends on what seems appropriate. What cast has had full conversation about, though, um, was the creation of all of their pilot identities. Uh, each one of those pilots were actually created um, by the cast member in particular. We worked on it uh, collectively. We, we got together as a group, and everyone kind of thought through um, an identity that they wanted to try on. And so, um, Jennica is very much a creation of Sarah. Crash is very much a creation of Christian. Jebediah of Kelly. Uh, Rosie of Maggie. And Aquamarine of Vanessa. Uh, James had some input on the operative, but bowed out to a certain degree on creating that character just because of his schedule. Um, but even then he had a lot of conversations with Christian about where to go with it.
0: Personally speaking, would you rather perform in front of a room of a hundred people or in front of cameras for a thousand people watching? Wow. That's actually a really good question. um, Hmm. And I will say, in a twitch setting for the thousand people watching,
1: you know i'm man, huh that's a that's an amazingly hard question. I didn't know it would be hard when you asked it um I love the visceral nature of getting that immediate feedback from the audience and and doing that. Uh, doing that on a live stage is amazing. You know, the, the live shows we do at Gen Con, we usually get around 600 to a thousand people and it's, it's awesome. It's just an amazing experience. Um, that said, it has also been so cool to, to work with this new motif with, you know, with, with Twitch and with the, uh, the digital, digital audience as well. And, um, I, <sighs> I don't think I can answer the question. I'm really sorry. I, I think there is a point at which the number, my, the the former statistics tutor in me is is telling me that there is a point at which one of those numbers will outweigh the other. I'm not sure what the ratio is. I'm not sure if it's 100 live fans to 10,000 digital fans or 500 to a thousand. I don't I don't know what the ratio is, um, but. But right now, my heart is just saying the, the performance in general and the ability to interact in some way is is the part that I love. Um, now, if it was a digital audience without the interaction, I'd say the live audience hands down. And if it was a larger digital audience without the interaction versus a smaller digital audience with the interaction, I'd go with the smaller audience with the interaction. Because um, I think that's really what makes it so much – that's what makes it just so gratifying.
0: Have you gotten any particular feedback from the shows you've run on Hyper RPG that you really took to heart?
1: Yeah, honestly, um, both both positively and 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 criticism as well. During Renegades, I would we would do the show. I would watch the VOD at least twice, um, once once focused on the show itself and once focused on chat. Um, I was going to sarna regularly following the battletech forums i didn't know about discord at the time if i had i would have been following that as well you know that that helped me realize that there were there were there were there were rules hmm, that's harder to say than i thought um that i was not being as attentive to as i should have and so that really encouraged me to buckle down and do a better job of of learning some of those rules and um and sticking to them You know, there have been things, uh, the current store on metaverse is basically completely built based on a conversation I had on, uh, on discord, um, with, with a whole bunch of folks that, that led to to just scuttling a bunch of the stuff we had in there and and rebooting it, you know, there's been, uh, you know, even, Oh, what else? (laughs) <laughs> there have been names of characters that have come about because of uh, conversations on Twitter, things that have happened in Discord, um, things I've noticed in the in the VOD, in the, in the chat stream. Um, and, um, you know, I, <laughs> on, on Metaverse, for example, um, you know, Reddit Lad and the 4chans, um, I, I didn't come up with that. Paximo came up with that. Um, she made a reference to it during the show. In, in chat, and a bunch of people laughed at it. But I, when I'd said there were four people hanging out with him, I didn't have a name for them. And I, I saw that line and, and was just struck by how subtly brilliant it was. And so, you know, sent her a quick message saying, hey, this is great. You mind if I use it? You know, there's there's been a lot of little things like that that have, have popped up. Um, the You know, the hyper community is just amazing. And, and their feedback, their support has just been it it really it sounds cheesy probably but it really is an honor to get to go out there every week and lead a bunch of folks in this you know collaborative storytelling experience and have these folks trust me to to do that um you know it's 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 a, it's an honor i i really i'm just pleased that i get to do it
0: if you could be the gm for another show on hyper rpg which would you want to gm
1: uh, back when Trivia Hops was on, um, that because I love trivia in general, um, Gauntlet would be interesting if I could pick who I got to torture each week. Um, but it would just be Zach every single week, so
0: that wouldn't be as fun for the
1: audience.
0: <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, halfway kidding. I, I um, think you're underestimating how much <laughs> the audience likes seeing Zach suffer. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, it,
1: honestly, I really do enjoy uh, – I know it's the only other show I have experience GMing, but DFA is a lot of fun to, to GM. Um, you know, the table – interacting with the table is fun. The, the strategy involved with that, um, the, the cast is a lot of fun, especially now with the expanded cast. The Having a guest each week to play with, that's an interesting mechanic to bring in because you – so often the personality and ability of the op four has a huge impact on how the show goes. I don't know Shadowrun, so Core Sins would be, would be a real adventure. Then again, I didn't know Battletech jumping into that. Um, you know, uh, Pencil's and Parsecs, I'm, I'm more Star Trek than Star Wars, but, you know, it seems like a fun show from what I've seen of it. Um, the Outcrowd, I really enjoy that Open Legend format. Um, that's a great system. Uh, doing that one off with, uh, with, uh, AJ and Bronze and Tyler and, uh, Tara. Um, that was a lot of fun, and I, I would love to do that again. But yeah, if, if I had to pick one show, probably DFA. But then again, I'd have to wear earplugs each week the Jackal was on,
0: so. <laughs> and you'd have to be ready for pretty major curveballs.
1: Yeah, yeah. Although the curveballs, I'm cool with. Like, I don't, I, I don't mind. I don't know. I Like with Metaverse, there is a story arc that I kind of think we're following, but if we don't wind up following it, that's okay. Um, just adjust to what's happening.
0: Has your involvement with Death From Above sparked your interest in Battletech outside of work?
1: Uh, Sarah was just telling me a couple of days ago she's really hoping that uh, when we go out to Gen Con this year that we can find time to do a uh, Battletech match with uh, her and me and Matt and Christian um, I have not signed us up for that yet. I should do that actually. Cause I've got, I've, I should, I just, I've got the ability. So why haven't I done that yet? Honestly, I have not gotten to do a lot of tabletop RPG. <laughs> ironically, since this stuff started, because it has been so many hours of my week that go into this. Um, I have a standing invite to join my old group now on Thursday nights, and I haven't had time to do it. Um, you know, there's things like that that have come up. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that I can get a chance. You know, Shimmy had asked about doing Battletech, just the two of us at some point. And um, I think it will happen, but I'm also kind of realistic about the fact that I've, you know, I'm 39 now. I've got two little kids. Most of the people who I play games with aren't immediately accessible. So I've got to factor in commute time. I, I think realistically, my realistically, my RPG days are primarily hyper, at least for the short term. Um, but you know, things can and will change, um, up until, up until starting the, the whole renegades thing. Um, I was doing a regular group, uh, every month, so I know it can and will come back.
0: Have you started looking at getting the second generation into RPGs? The kids, uh, a little bit
1: actually. Yeah. We have, um, one of those, what is it? It's uh, castle Ravenloft, the, uh, board, Um, the kind of adventure board game. It's, it's kind of a loosely based on, I think it's loosely based on fourth edition. And uh, we have a copy of that. And so Sarah and I have been talking about playing that, uh, with our eldest. He's eight now. And, and both of them, both of them are so interested. They want to know about Metaverse. They want to know about DFA. In fact, as I say this, I'm realizing I don't think we have childcare figured out for Saturday. So they, they might actually be in the studio on Saturday. But, uh, yeah, that's definitely that's definitely on the agenda is to is to get them started playing because they they're showing interest and they're you know they're old enough they can at least
0: tell a story. If you get them to show up on camera for Masters of the Metaverse, what purchasable would they be involved with? Oh man, it would have to be some sort of troll on
1: Sarah. I don't know exactly what it would be, um, but I would not tell her, and it would be some something something to make her squirm that's what it would be that's that's all i know (laughs) they could be metapod technicians absolutely and uh i mean they would be uh you know they i think what would probably happen is both of them would come out on camera and freeze up for a moment um and then they would both start just bouncing around and being their usual selves but yeah it would it would be fun to come up with an excuse to bring them out at some point
0: do you feel like there's any overlap between you wanting to guide players through a story in RPGs with wanting to guide people through stories as a man of the cloth?
1: Oh, I think I, I think I see where you're going with that.
0: I really enjoy community building,
1: just in general. And I think one of the things that ties communities together better than anything is, uh, at least in a positive way, Um, are our stories. Uh, Not to dive into it too much, but I mean, even, you know, early days of, you know, of, of, well, pretty much any religious group, but the one I can obviously speak the best on, I mean, the early days of Christianity, that was all oral storytelling. I mean, the Bible wasn't actually written down in its full form for quite a while later. And I think there is something really powerful about people getting together and, sharing and creating stories and and finding meaning in those stories and you know that's that's one of the things that's one of the things i really enjoyed about um DFA actually that i want to figure out how to do a little bit better with metaverse is um DFA it does have a lot of levels to it um because of all of the brokenness of these characters and you know i don't i don't think we've gotten into that as much yet with metaverse at the same time we're 6 episodes in but i like how I like some of the questions that have been a right that have been um, raised by the way these characters have evolved or sometimes devolved. And, um, you know, I think that there are, are issues of morality and issues of meaning and issues of a relationship and issues of, of power and issues of, you know, how, how those without power are treated and, you know, how people how people on the outside are welcomed in or not welcomed in. And, um, you know, I think it's a very powerful medium,
0: um, to play with. And, and I I really, really like it. You've spoken in the past about people having to be on the lookout for abusive or dangerous pastors. What do you try to do? To avoid falling into being an abusive GM,
1: I think in some ways there's actually some similarities, and and specifically what I mean is that, you know, as a GM, you you've got a veto, you you have the ability to to lift up a player's decision or to smack it back down, and you know in improv they always talk about and yes and and accepting somebody's offer and. And such, and you know, in 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 more in deeper forms of improv, you don't always accept an offer because sometimes it, or or maybe you accept it, but in a different way, and so you redirect it because you know that's that creates interesting tensions and such in a story. But but as a GM, it is so easy to um, to railroad and to um, to not to not allow the party any freedom to choose where things are going. Um, but also to, to not let them, just to not let them explore their own character, to not let them grow as a character. And, and so I try very hard, I try very hard as a GM to honestly, to, um, to give a lot of slack. I mean, I don't know if my players are even on leashes, so to speak. Um, <laughs> I pretty much let them free range and then just try and encourage them to move in a certain direction. Th- that's, that's how I approach GMing. is um, I focus very and trying to avoid being an abusive GM or a bad GM, um, at least as far as I've experienced it. Um, well, that's not true. I haven't even experienced a bad GM yet. Knock on wood, but to me, what would make a bad GM is someone who is so focused on the rules above all else and on their agenda and their, their story above all else and not allowing any creativity, not allowing any exploration. And so I try very hard to allow that to happen. You know, and, and even in the midst of that, if there is something that you absolutely need to happen, um, you can, for lack of a better term, kind of cheat. Um, <laughs> you know, it I mean, a, a really candid example was, um, I don't know if you saw Metaverse last week or not, or a couple weeks ago, but there was a fight that the party had with a bunch of spider bots, um, in Kid Titan's office. That fight happened there because it was going to happen somewhere else. And the party absolutely refused to take the lead to go to that location. And that was okay. There were other things that they could have explored and done in that location, but, but I, but on a really practical, pragmatic point, I needed them to have that fight because I needed there to be a combat encounter to justify the things that chat had purchased in the store. And so when they chose not to go there and chose to go to the office, um, I had to rework in my brain quite quickly the encounter and how the opponents arrived and everything else based on this new setting. So... On the one hand, you could say, well, you railroaded them because you still forced them to have the encounter. On the other hand, well, no, because I didn't anticipate them going to the office. And that actually led to an entirely different situation, because then from the office, that led to them having some different encounters
0: in the next episode that they would not have had had they not done that. Have you ever had to deal with the other end of the spectrum where the GM was unwilling to let their players make mistakes because they didn't want the players characters to come to harm.
1: Uh, so far I have not no I think I think partially I wonder if part of it might be because I didn't really start gaming with folks until you know we were all in our early early to mid20s. and as such player death was always you know character death was always kind of an option. I haven't really had much trouble with that. Honestly, one of my favorite campaigns that I did was, um, (laughs) one of my favorite campaigns that I did was, was actually my fourth, my, my, my last year in seminary. Um, we did a campaign based on, uh, Eberron and, uh, they followed this whole strand of, of stuff. Long story short, they wound up on, I can't remember the name now it's, but it's this far Eastern continent that has, all these different magical towers and such, and they they ended up having to blow up one of these towers. And um, and when they did, um, they set off the security system. They went up against a uh, a what uh, are those eyeball things that float? Um, beholder. Thank you. Yes, a beholder. And one of the party members, the the dwarven fighter type, ended up getting turned to stone, and uh, and so didn't get out in time and was exploded by the. Uh, by you know, by this thing going up, and it was it was it was sad because this character had been with us the whole year that we'd play this and such, but it was really meaningful because because of it and because of the way it had happened and it was also kind of funny because the player, because he had damage reduction for being stone um, as soon as as soon as I was explaining the whole thing and all of this destruction and whatnot without missing a beat, he said, "I take twenty points less um, because he was made of stone and not human anymore um and maybe you had to be there. I, <laughs> but it was, it, it, you know, it, p- character death is frequently a really meaningful part of, of gaming. I think, I don't think you want it to be flippant. I don't think you want it to happen too often, but if it happens, it, it happens. And, you know, that's just the nature of the adventures, the stories that are typically being told.
0: When people begin their role-playing experience It seems like a lot of time they focus on making a perfect character. But as the years go on, they become more interested in creating flawed characters. Have you noticed that? Uh, Yeah, I definitely. In fact, I would say I've done that
1: myself. Um, I have a a bad habit of min-maxing when I build a character. Um, which can become paralyzing at times because you're always trying to figure out the best way to do something. And that is something I've actually struggled with even into the last few years is allowing myself to recognize that, you know, no, it's okay. It's
0: the, it's the brokenness and the warts that make the character interesting. Which character have you played as that you feel the most connection to? Hmm. Please don't say Duke Erasmus.
1: <laughs> that was awesome. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed the character I played. Our uh, we did a campaign. Um, we did two campaigns my fourth year. We did one I was running, one another guy was running, and did, did them kind of simultaneously. And the other one was a uh, expedition to Castle Ravenloft, and I played a Warforged Crusader uh build um which was kind of a hit the bad guy and then also heal yourself or heal a buddy Uh, it was a kind of a i think it was just as the system was transitioning from one edition to another if i remember correctly but i really you know what no i take it back that was my favorite that was my favorite campaign the character i really enjoyed was a um lore lore loreborn. Uh, Lorborn Kalash was a character who was a he was a studious uh, bookworm of a character, basically no combat ability whatsoever, and um, his entire role in combat was to try and uh, it was basically battlefield manipulation. It was all about moving chess pieces. It was about moving. Um, moving the opponents into disadvantageous situations and the uh, teammates into advantageous situations. And it was a lot of fun. It was a character. I don't think he ever, I might've attacked once with him the entire campaign. um, But it was, you know, he was just this bookworm. Um, He, he knew all sorts of trivia, which is something I love. And uh, I really enjoyed that character.
0: We're going to start wrapping up, but before we do, I'm going to ask you some questions. Based off the Pivot questionnaire, pioneered by Bernard Pivot. What is your favorite word?
1: Well for some reason the word hope came to mind, so I'm gonna go with that because I like that word.
0: What is your least favorite word?
1: You know, um <laughs> I really get sick of people dropping F bombs all the time for no reason. I-, I have no problem with the word in general. Um, But I feel like the English language has hundreds of thousands of words, and so there has to be a more creative option most of the time. So, So, I mean, I'll drop them when they're appropriate, but I don't feel like it
0: needs to be used as just random punctuation in a sentence. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? I really enjoy
1: collaboration. Uh, having someone to bounce ideas off of and play with and banter with. I love banter. Banter is probably I'm addicted to it. And it's probably my favorite thing in any gaming session I've ever done is when people just get a chance to banter. What turns you off? Passive aggressiveness. I really, really dislike it when people are unwilling to just speak honestly, even when it's hard. Um, you know, as a, as a pastor, it's something I've worked really hard to com- combat in my congregation. And as a GM, it's something that I work or just as a person, it's something I work hard to combat in my regular life. You know, I not saying that people need to just be so blunt that they're, you know, asses to each other, but I really, really, really dislike passive aggressive approaches towards situations.
0: What is your favorite curse word to hear from your players?
1: It doesn't get used a lot, but as a longtime Red Dwarf fan, I love it when someone randomly randomly says Smeg. Just because it harkens back to that, that childhood.
0: What sound or noise do you love? Either Sarah or the boys laughing. What sound or noise do you hate?
1: Uh, Sarah or the boys um,
0: hurt crying for, you know, disappointed. What game system would you most like to attempt?
1: I would love to have time in my life to actually learn 5th edition. I think that would be fun. What game system would you not like to attempt? I'm not sure if I know enough game systems to be able to choose one honestly. Um. I'm not very into Cthulhu, so just as like a story situation, that's one that doesn't really appeal to me. But I'm not sure if that's a specific
0: rules system. When your game concludes, or for this question, when Masters of the Metaverse concludes, what would you like to hear from your players, and what would you like to hear from chat?
1: I would like to hear from the players that that it was worth it and that that they really enjoyed it and that they look forward to whatever happens next and i think from chat i would hope for something similar i know we're going to do at least this first season um christian and i have already talked about what season two could look like and um i personally have no problem with the idea of it just going on for several several years you know we'll see what hyper wants to do we'll see where it all goes but um but yeah, I, I think, you know, <laughs> to par- to paraphrase, uh, to paraphrase scripture at the end of the day, I'd like to hear, uh, well done, noble GM.
0: Have you ever accidentally asked your congregation to roll perception? Um, I have not, but I have, what have I dropped?
1: Um, I picked up, I've gotten better about it, but I went through a period about a month or two ago where I kept saying, Uh, for days as a as a way of modifying something so um you know they had coffee for days or there are spider bots for days or or whatnot and I, i picked it up from maggie and christian and i caught myself saying it during a sermon one day uh which annoyed me greatly um i have made references to Oh, what was it now? I don't remember what the exact reference was, but Sarah caught me when I did it. I did make a DFA reference um, a couple months back, and um, but it was very deliberate, and <laughs> and I think she was the only one. Well, obviously the only one who caught it. I I actually quite enjoy dropping the occasional pop uh, pop cultural reference in deliberately, uh, not occasional. I probably do that pretty regularly actually, um, but it's not uncommon for it to happen accidentally too. Now I'm trying to figure out what the DFA reference would be. I'll have to go back and fr- I'd had, I would have to go back and listen to the correct recording, but I don't think I'll ever find it. But, um, it was probably a reference to something that had happened during the, re- the role play.
0: The fisherman had to make a piloting role. <laughs> no, I can What was it? I don't remember
1: now. It was something, um, but I have. I've I've actually talked about um, several times now. I've talked about uh, you know I've talked about zombie orpheus. I've talked about gamers live. I've talked about hyper RPG. I've talked about uh, metaverse. You know a DFA um, because it's it's all a part of my life and that's oftentimes I I frequently pull in uh, pieces from my own experience or from what's going on in the world into how I preach. And so it feels disingenuous to not reference it. I mean, it's there. So, you know, obviously I have to give some context because most of them have no idea what I'm talking about if I don't. Um, But, you know, there,
0: there are ways to work in little bits and pieces. And finally, if you could go back in time to watch one person sneeze, who would it be? Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Where can the insiders find more about you? Uh, they can find me on
1: Twitter at uh, NW underscore ODE. They can find me on Discord uh, through HyperRPG, the same name. Where else? That's, that's pretty much the biggest things. I do a lot of stuff with Zombie Orpheus Entertainment. So, zombieorpheus.com or patreon.com slash zombieorpheus. Or YouTube.com/slash/zombieorpheus, or Facebook.com/slash/zombieorpheus, or Twitter.com/slash/zombieorpheus, aka Zombie Orpheus. And if they're at Gen Con, they'll find me there. If they're at Emerald City Comic Con, they'll find me there. And ideally, we might wind up at PAX Unplugged this year, so we're
0: trying to make that work. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Yeah, absolutely, it's been fun. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on.
0: Head on over to twitch.tv hyperrpg on Saturdays from 3pm to 5.30pm pacific time to watch Chris Odie GMing Masters of the Metaverse. You can also head to YouTube to check out the episodes of Death from Above Renegades. Inside the Masters Studio is an Audio Entropy podcast. You can head over to audioentropy.com to find more podcasts like Teenagers with Attitude, a Power Rangers rewatch. All Along the Watchtower, a Dr. Fate-guided tour through the DC animated universe. Or make sure to listen to War and Beast, a Beast Wars rewatch. If you go to audioentropy.com, there's an option to donate. All of that goes to hosting the website, as one of our members pays for the entire thing out of pocket. You can follow this show on Twitter, at itms underscore podcast i've been your host of moon rules and remember always make sure your party's healer is following their ritual down to the letter resurrecting a party member can go horribly wrong due to simple clerical error